We've been in this series now for a couple of weeks. We've talked about loving our neighbors, and hopefully we have a broader understanding of who our neighbor is. Last week we talked about love. Hope we have a deeper understanding of what love is and who we are to love. And so in this process, back a year ago when God laid this series on my heart, I wanted to have a man come and speak to you. And this man I knew from seven years ago. And we had lunch together. I was actually I don't know if he knew this, but I was interviewing him for a pastor position on our staff. It was one of those that he, his calling and our need was not aligned at the same time, but it was the kind of relationship that I said, I want this person to be a friend of mine. I want to connect with him. It's Dr. James Hawkins, who's going to be with us today, sharing with us a message that God's put on his heart that fits into the Love Better series. When you know Dr. James, you got to know him as a counselor. You might know him as, as a radio uh, speaker because he has a program. He and his wife, Nicola, have a program on KLRC, and they speak into families. He is a licensed, uh, he has a PhD in uh, family therapy from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's a part of the Joshua Center team. They have five girls. That's five weddings that you will get to, to pay for, brother. And so uh, anyway, I want you to give Grace po- a great point welcome to Dr. James Hawkins as he comes and shares the Word of God with us today. All right, first disclaimer, I'm going to break the Western tradition. And what I'm going to do is I'm not paying for the wedding. You have to pay me to be able to marry my... So there we go. That's a culture. There you go. So I'm a very rich man. Um, No, truly I am. Um, So Grace Point, thank you for allowing me to be here with you as you come back together as a family of God. It's great worshiping with you. I've enjoyed my relationship with Pastor Mike and his leadership and boldness to even broach a topic like this. But I want you to hear me as I I talk about a topic that brings up many emotions for people. I want you to know my heart, and let me make this very clear. I care about the kingdom of God above all else. That my citizenship is in heaven, and I eagerly await a Savior from there, who is Christ Jesus the Lord, who will transform my body to be like his body. So because my citizenship is in heaven, everything else comes beneath it. Because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and God has allowed me to be in America, I will exercise his kingdom rule as I, exi- as I reside in America. And he, he allows me to reside in Arkansas as he has made me as a male, as he has made me as a black male. And everything else comes underneath, though, the kingdom of heaven, including political affiliation, socioeconomic status, all of those things. So I want you to know very clearly where I'm coming from. I care about the kingdom and everything else is just rubbish to me. So let me make that clear. I'm coming here today to push us and to call the kingdom of God to our original roots. You, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a member of the kingdom. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you are to exercise his kingdom ethos wherever he puts you. That's it. Well, what about this party? I don't care. What about this party? I do not care. And I'm saying that so hard. Now, we as believers should be involved. But your first and foremost affiliation is to the kingdom of God, because that's who you will give an account to on judgment day. No political party can stand before Jesus for you. All right, so we got that out the way. Little light sermon here. 
Um, but loving thy diverse neighbor. Can I ask you a question? Because I've recognized, I talk about this stuff all the time, and it's easy for me to talk about in some ways. But can I ask you a question here before we even get into all that stuff? But here's what I want to ask. As I even tell you that, I'm going to be talking about divisions within the body, about race and, you know, all the things that can divide us, whether it's gender, ability groups, political affiliation. What do you feel happen deep down in your soul and your body even as I tell you we're going to talk about that. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, what did you feel happen in your body when James says, we're going to talk about race and sexism and political, when we talk about that, what happened in your body? What did you feel? Did you feel a tightening in your gut, clenching of your fist? What was that that happened? And I I really, I'm sorry, this is a cultural thing. I really want you to turn to your neighbor... (laughs) Everyone's like got their pins and they're ready to learn, Pastor Mike. I'm sorry. I'm interactive. You can talk to me if I'm up here and it gets too quiet. I'm have to do something and break protocol. But anyway, but here's why. Let me tell you why I'm asking you that, because this is a triggering thing. And what I found for many people, even good Christian uh, people that follow Christ is what happens is it triggers something that happens within their body. They get defensive. They get scared. And everything about their body and their soul has has left the conversation. And when people feel triggered and they don't feel safe, we end up getting into these conversations where we're more worried about protection than we are about connection. You cannot have intimate connection with God and other people when you are trying to live in a protected place. That's the counselor in me, but I do believe that's biblical. And you'll see what I mean by that. If you are worried about more about self-protection, you cannot have connection at the same time. And that's just for you as that are parents and spouses in here. Same thing in your personal relationships. The more you worry about your self-protection, you cannot have intimate connection. All right. So we're going to be talking about loving your diverse neighbor. And we're going to center it on the prayer of Jesus. But I want to ask you some questions when we think about your diverse neighbor. Pastor Mike said it in his sermon. Who is your neighbor? Whomever God puts in your path. So let's examine our paths first, right? So here's some questions that are going to come up on the screen. And as these questions come up, I want you to think about it from a part of ethnicity, socioeconomic status, political affiliation. You know, when you think about this, who are your closest friends? You know, Pastor Mike talked about it. They all in some affinity group to where they're just like you. Who are your trusted mentors? What about the teachers, theologians, preachers? The people that give you spiritual guidance. You know, are, they, are you all aligned politically, socioeconomically, ethnically? Who are the main curators of the information that shapes your world? News, books, music, politicians, podcasts, social media. And here's the thing I want you to wrestle with. Is it a diverse experience that you're getting? I remember I was talking to a friend, and he said, James, why does this topic matter to me? I'm a pastor of a church, and my church is all white. Okay, all right. I said, well, one, you need to even ask yourself, how did it get that way? Because there are some things that happen historically that set you up for that moment that aren't all based in God's plan and his will, that some of it is based in sin. But then, are you called to be a pastor for Sunday morning? Or are you called to pastor your people to be a part of the kingdom of God? Where do your people work? Do they work in all-white settings? Do they live in all-white neighborhoods? Are they called to only share the gospel with only white people? No. 
Are you doing the work of the ministry and equipping your people to be a part of the kingdom of God with all people? See, he had this reductionistic mindset to, once again, this working with my affinity group. And that is the reason why I think we find ourselves in the current tension that we do find ourselves in America. And what I want to make sure I point out today, we have something better than the world has to offer to deal with what's going on in our world. But the key is, as we as a church, we lose that when we sell out and we make sure the kingdom of heaven is not our primary citizenship and we make our political affiliation or our affinity groups the place we operate from. Those things cannot suffice to do what the world needs right now. All right, so I better get moving because I've got a lot I want to say. Because like I said, even as you look at this picture, there's many divides going on in the world, whether it's political, there's the racial tension, and you can talk about immigration or even gender. There's a lot of things going on in our world while there's a lot of conflict. But we have a model in the gospel and through Jesus that points us to something greater. The fullness of the gospel is that through our redemption in Christ and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, God is reconciling men and women, young and old, rich and poor, and of every ability level and from every ethnic group to himself and to each other. That's the fullness of the gospel. The gospel is not only about your own personal salvation and your own personal choices. That from the beginning, God wanted all of mankind to dwell in intimate relationship with him and with each other. But when we fell in sin, that was broken. But I love one of my professors. She said, James, but nothing is ever lost in God's economy. The fullness of the gospel is that not just your personal salvation, but God is going to restore what he intended in the beginning. Amen. But I want to call out the demonic forces that are behind this. Satan is wanting to play us like puppets. And he's wanting to have us and use us in ways to not fulfill the will of God. So when we see some of these things, these things playing out on news and things that are going on, let's not forget that Satan is behind some of this. Because remember, what God wants, Satan is against. But here's the beauty. Once again, I want to keep pointing to this beautiful picture that united in Christ, that when we come together in unity, we manifest the image of our heavenly father. But when we're divided, we're just like random puzzle pieces. But in that random place, what we're still waiting for is to be united. Because when we are united as the body of Christ across all these different lines of diversity that God made, by the way, that we actually demonstrate the beauty of God's kingdom. But the enemy wants to prevent that from happening. And what he's really wanting us to do is like this picture shows. He's wanting us in our words and our ways in which we attack and we hurt one another. And that's what I see playing out, um, even amongst well-intended Christian people. We're really harming ourselves in the ways in which we get engaged in these conversations. Paul warns about this in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13. And by the way, I'm going to move through a lot of scripture today, so you might want to write them down because I'm going to be moving because I want to give us a biblical view of what this looks like. In, in Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not your, use your freedom to indulge the flesh, meaning not your own personal gratification. Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love them? How would you want to be loved if you were in their position? How would you want to be, how would you want to be treated if you were of that ethnic group, that socioeconomic group? that ability group, of that gender. How would you want to be treated? Treat them the same. Simple. 
Very simple concept in a way. But you have to do something that's different. You have to put yourself in another person's position and think about what it would be like for them. And then say, how would I want someone to show up for me in that place? Because verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Ouch. So let's go back to the basic foundation of this, because this whole idea of loving your diverse neighbor really goes back to Genesis in the garden. Genesis chapter 1. And what I like to pull out of this is the, the idea of the imago Dei, that we are all created in the image of God. Because in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And this is the idea of that we are all one human race. At the basic foundation, we are all more similar genetically than we are different, right? And why is that? So the main foundation that gives us our neighborship is we are all created in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God and they have worth and they have value. But unfortunately, because of sin, it didn't stay that way in the sense of this unity and this connection. We see in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fall, it says the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So here it was, and we know in Genesis 2.25 that this sense of being open and vulnerable to each other, there was no shame in it. It was okay. It was good. And they enjoyed fellowship with God. After sin comes in, Uh uh-oh, there's some things about me that I need to close off from you. And not only do I just close it off from you, I even hide from the presence of God. There's a separation here. But I love that that the New Testament, once again, does not give up on this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul points back to this idea that God wants to restore. In Acts 17, verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations. So even our ethnic differences, though, are still a part of God's divine will and his plan. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history. In other words, God is in control of the shaping of the nations, right, and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Remember, so now we're getting a, good, a, a divine insight of why God did it. He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So even Paul points back to this idea that in the beginning, God made all the nations so that we would seek him and that we would find him because he is near to all of us. There are things I learn about God from different ethnic groups. There are things I learn about God from men. There are things I learn about God from women who have this with with their children and the nurture. And there are things I learn. I just learn so many different things about God from different people who have different experiences than me that when I cut myself off from them, there are things I also don't get to learn about God when I live an isolated life. From the beginning, we were created to be one with God and with each other. But in sin, people have oppressed the poor, devalued people based on age, gender, and ethnicity. This type of sin not only hurts the people that are targeted by it, but it also wounds the souls of those who participate in it or who see it and do nothing about it. 
All forms of discrimination, catch this, it's not about politics. It's a direct affront to God himself because every person is created in the image of God. Ouch, that makes it heavy. I like how Martin Luther King says it. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all directly. So I can't sit back and say, well, that's not me, and just expect that God's going to spare me. That makes me remember it, Queen Esther. What if for such a time as this, you've been called to the place that you are? You have a responsibility with the influence and whatever position God has given you. But I love what Jesus says, and this is important. This is what I really wanted to hinge at, is that this is Jesus' high priestly prayer as he is on his way to the cross. So if this is his moment where he is saying, I I put my stake here, this is the whole reason why I came, and this is what I'm passing on to you, this is the eternal will of God that I want you to be a part of. We should take notice of this call ourselves. In John 17, beginning at verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will be in me through their message, that all of them may be what? One. That's the song we open up with this morning. Make us one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And catch this. This is why this matters. That the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, the way that the world will even know about Jesus is by the way we relate to one another. Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on further. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I think Jesus wants us to be one. He's not repeating himself just redundantly here. He's not stuttering. He's saying something intentional, right? I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to kind of tolerating each other. Kind of just like, oh, you know, well, you over there and we'll do our thing over here. No, that they may be brought to complete, perfect unity. And catch this part, church. This is the hope. This is what we get to be a part of in this moment. If we choose to join him in it, then the world will know. You see how Jesus ties it together? When we are in complete unity, then the world will know. When we choose to be divided and fight and argue amongst each other, the world's like, we do that already. What you talking to me about? What family are you calling me into? We talked about it in that song. What family are you asking me to be a part of? I'm already fighting with my earthly family. You want me to come fight with your spiritual family? Right? He says, no, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's why I love this. Love better. The world needs to see a different type of love, a better love. And I want you to tell you as a counselor, They're longing for it, and sometimes they don't even know how to put words to it. So they need someone to live it out before them. Because you can tell me something, but I want to see it, right? So in the natural perspective, it makes sense for birds of a feather to flock together. You know, we can do our affinity group, but it is a divine testimony to the image of God when people from diverse backgrounds love each other in word and deed. And we have an example of this in Jesus. Can I show you the, di- the diversity in Jesus' own life? That even though he was born a Jew, that he had diversity woven throughout his life. So he's not calling and asking us to do something that he did not do himself. Even in his own lineage. You know, Abraham was not born Jewish, that he was actually in a pagan nation when he was called out. 
that what made the, the nation of Israel a distinct culture was their relationship with God. That's the only thing that made them distinct at the beginning. And that's where we get the Ten Commandments, right? But even we find Tamar, who was a Canaanite. She didn't necessarily have a good social position in society in some ways, but she bore two sons for Judah, a Canaanite. Ruth, a Moabite. Rahab, a Canaanite, once again, of a different social position in society. But even she makes it into the Hall of Fame of faith. Jesus, they even said, isn't he Joseph's, isn't he the carpenter's son? Like he's like, what, how can he be a rabbi? He's of this other socioeconomic group. He's not, you know, the elite. And then what is it? Could any good thing come out of Nazareth? So even Jesus in different social and gender and ethnic positions represented diversity. But even at his birth, the Magi come from the east to Jesus' birth. The shepherds who would have been considered, you know, the outcasts of society, you know, the dirty, smelly sheep herders were there at his birth. And then even after that, he was sent to Egypt until Herod died. There is even diversity at Jesus' birth. There's diversity in Jesus' life. He fellowshiped with the rich and the poor. He worked with the Samaritan woman to reach a whole city through a Samaritan woman, which would have been considered taboo for that time. He used the story of the Good Samaritan, which Pastor Mike preached on, to convey, who is your neighbor? That would have been offensive to them. You're going to tell me that the right neighbor was not the Levite? No, it was the Samaritan? That would have felt like anathema. They were like, what are you talking about here? Right? He healed the Roman centurion's daughter. He touched the leper. And even at the carrying of his cross, it was a man probably from North Africa who helped carry Jesus' cross when he was too weak. Sometimes I think what happens in the American church, we preach it through Western eyes and we forget the diversity that is even in the story of Jesus. And Jesus, catch this, he made a lot of his contemporaries uncomfortable because of his proximity across lines of gender, ethnicity, and social status. But why did Jesus do that? Because he knew that the fullness of the gospel was, yes, I'm using you, the Jewish nation, as a called out people. But God's plan was, I'm going to use you to call all the other nations to me. And so Jesus knew, like, there's a fulfillment in the plan. I got to come and I'm going to go to the Jews first. But this gospel message is going to break out and call all of the world in. And I love how Paul says this in Romans chapter 9. As he says in Hosea, because this was already predicted in the Old Testament, he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in that very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the children of the living God. Wow. So with all of that said, we have to uncover, and this is the thing I think we need to all say in the church, this is where it gets hard. I have my own prejudices and biases. And we all probably have them. Why? Because we are raised in a world where we are sinful people and we have lived in a sinful world that has taught us certain messages about certain people groups and whatever that might be, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's socioeconomic status, that have taught us things that probably don't line up with the, with the image of God in those different people. And we have to be careful of those prejudices and biases. And, the, and it's not to try and ignore them and pretend like they're not there, because the thing, you do, the thing you cannot see, you cannot change. But the thing you can see, you can submit it to the will of God, and he can help you change it for good. God is not here to bring shame and condemnation. He's to call us up and to call us out into something different so we can love better. All right? So prejudice, once again, is directly confronted in Scripture as an affront to the gospel and to the nature of God. 
In Matthew chapter 5, even Jesus confronts them. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, sinners already do that. They love people who love them. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? So if you just greet the people from your affinity group, you're just like everybody else. Do not even pagans do that. There's something better. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And then we come once again. God can change our perspective. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has seen the vision of the sheep being let down from heaven with the unclean animals. And, you know, in the Jewish culture, that would have said, no, unclean, don't do that. But God had to show Peter, Peter, I'm not talking about animals. I understand as a Jew, you were taught this about the Gentiles. But I got to let you know, Peter, the game is changing. You know, I was teaching you that for a reason, for something else. But I'm telling you, the game is changing, Peter. There's something different that I'm doing here. And I need you to see it. And I want you to be a part of it. He said to him, this is Peter talking. He said to them, when he gets to Cornelius' house, you are well aware that it is against our law for Jews to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And then Cornelius, who's a Gentile, shares the testimony about how God has spoken to them and has called them. And Peter, all of a sudden, then they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, whoa, hold on a second. Boom. Kingdom mindset change here happening, people. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter's mind is just blown and it's changed. But then even in the book of James, he talks about this. He says in James chapter 2, My brothers and sisters, believer in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy and old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, that's the key word, discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. That's even socioeconomically that you've even done it. And then James goes on further and he says, if you, in James chapter 2 verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And that's not for me. What I'm saying to you right now, all of us as people, We have to sit right now in our seat and say, God, expose those areas in my life. That's not for me to lay that on you and to tell you. That's for you to go along with the Heavenly Father and ask him to search your heart. But and so even that it is sin and it's something that we have to see that it is a gospel matter. And we must oppose any kind of discrimination as a church. It, not because it's a political thing, but because Scripture points it out to us that we should. And so we see in Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to confront Peter, who has had a revelation, but Paul has to confront Peter on this matter. When Cephas came to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from, from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Meaning sometimes when you live a diverse life, People who think that they're in your affinity group, they're not going to understand what you're doing because it makes them uncomfortable and they're not understanding like how you're comfortable with that. 
But catch what Paul does. He saw that, once again, this discrimination was affecting the other Jews. He says, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This thing is infectious. Just like love is infectious, so is sin is infectious. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, key line, the way they were acting, Paul says, you are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Ouch. I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Church, when we find ourselves slipping or we see these things happening on you know, large platforms, that people are not acting in line with the gospel and, and, and sowing further division amongst the people of God, we've got to call it out. We cannot be bosom buddies with that. This is a disease. It is infectious. It goes against the will of God. We have to speak with a prophetic voice to these matters because it really is a big deal. Oh, heavy. I know I'm going fast. I told you I was going to take a walk through all the scripture, but there's good news, church. You can smile a little bit and pick yourselves up because this is a battle that will be won in eternity. The good news is that through Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God and to each other. And we even see this in the book of Revelations. And they sing in Revelations chapter 5, and they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Who are they talking about here, church? Jesus. You can always say Jesus, right? Isn't that right, Emily? They can say Jesus, right? Because you were slain and with, the, and with your blood, you were purchased for God. Listen to this. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, all of the ethnos are there before the throne of God. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Revelation wants to make sure you really get it. It says it again in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. From where? Every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. Peace has been restored amongst the people of God before the throne of God. Jesus can help us to love our diverse neighbor. And the reason why I point to that is because we are a people who want to do what? The will of God as it is in heaven. We're at here on earth because our primary citizenship is where? In heaven. So this is what I want to get ready to close with, church. I want to read. This is probably my favorite passage of Scripture when it comes to loving thy diverse neighbor. And the band's going to get ready to come up. And I'm going to read this over you. And people say, well, what do I do practically, James? That's so hard, you know, to really tell somebody what to do practically. One thing I will say is that list I gave you before about who are you listening to, you know, who are the influences in your life, I would say diversify that list. And I mean, I'm saying that to you, but I have to do it because I want to say, wait a minute, God, I don't want to only listen to people who look like me and think like me. I want to make sure I'm sharpened. But the secure foundation I have to do that is Jesus. I know scripture. I know God's will. Right. But so here Paul is. He's the one that's been given this call to cross these cultural boundaries. And he's trying to call the church to be together. And so we see in Philippians chapter 2, I think is a great example of what does it look like to do this. So, so Grace Point, can I read this over you? And I just want you to take these words in and say, I need to really work on this part. Because the part that this change that needs to happen, I can't give you a programmatic, scripted, do this step, do this step, and do this step, and you will be that diverse community. Because you know what? This, kind of, this has to happen through a heart change within you. 
And so I want the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to come in you and to convict you and to show you so that way he moves you. Because I tell you, there's been some people, I remember a lawyer, he said, at first, James, I didn't understand what you were saying, but how can I be a part? I said, well, lend your legal voice to helping to speak up about some of these matters. A police officer, James, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Help me understand. I said, well, you work with me and we can work together. Help me understand what the relationship looks like for the police officers in the community. And what I'm just saying is all these different people was they got convicted. The Holy Spirit showed them and God's given them different voices and realms of influence to engage this conversation. But it happened because... Not because someone told them what to do. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and showed them that they needed to be involved and to join in. So Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul. In the band, you can go ahead and come on up. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, you catch these? If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Catch this. Value others above yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Because once again, if I'm looking out for my own interests, then I'm not connected to you. I'm more worried about protecting me, and I just leave you out there hanging. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul is pointing. This is what we all need to look to. Because once again, I've shown you diversity in Jesus' own life. Jesus, who who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus had every right and every privilege there is ever to have in humanity. But look at what he does. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, as he humbles himself, what does God do? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God, I thank you for Grace Point. I thank you for them leaning into this message. And God, I'm praying for more voices in the body of Christ to join in, to be able to cross these different lines that have separated us historically, contemporarily, but God, to live from this place of that you, God, are calling us in our diverse ways to be able to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, to magnify your kingdom and to make you known here at Grace Point, in Bentonville, in Arkansas, in America, and throughout the world for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we want you just to examine our lives and show us anywhere where there's any form of bias or prejudice or anything that separates us from loving our diverse neighbor. And we want the love of God that surpasses all understanding to show us how to love better. It's in Jesus' name we pray.